tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after-show entertainment. <laughs> TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey there, Ash vs. Evil Dead fans. Welcome to another episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead After Buzz After Show. Tonight we are talking about episode 6 from season 1, Killer of Killers. How are we all doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? So far so good, especially <laughs> after watching a really great episode from last night. Let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic panel. To my left, Elena Jordan. Hello. And to her left, Lex Michael. Hey, that is my name. It is indeed. I'm your host, Megan Salinas. You guys can tweet at me directly at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. We are also going to be keeping an eye on the hashtag ABTV Evil Dead. And I don't know, do you have the live chat pulled I up? I do. And we have the live chat pulled we got up. It. Look at that. That is very That exciting. is fantastic. So we will be keeping an eye on that. If you guys haven't already done so, please go to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We want to hear from you. Ah, it's a time loop. I believe that's from oh. your computer. Uh, <laughs> that gone. has happened before. It is so funny whenever it happens. So, guys, episode six. And Elena, you weren't here last week. No. So we're now officially over halfway through season one. <sighs> Thoughts? especially. I especially want to hear from you because we didn't hear from you last week. Because mm-hmm. we gave kind of our overall general mid-season thoughts. I want to hear yours. I am just digging how much they're having Easter eggs thrown in for fans, but also having this awesome story arc that integrates both the comedy and the drama just seamlessly into this mid-season. I'm just, I'm really excited to see what else they have in store, especially with how tonight's episode started. Yeah! (laughs) Freaking A! (laughs) Well, can we just, right now, I think we can say pretty conclusively, without knowing exactly what's coming, there's no possible way we've seen the last of Lucy Wallace on the show. No. no it's not possible. That would make no, no sense. There's no body. But for, for a moment, for a moment, and pardon my language, but for a moment, after it happened, I was like, son of a bitch. It happened again! Because, um, for those of you who watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., last year, they brought her on oh, for yeah. a guest role and killed her off after one oh. episode. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I had I the think, exact same reaction, especially because then the intro comes up and you're like, oh, because it's just enough not. time no, to no. get really mad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's let's talk about this opening scene where Ruby and uh, Amanda come across the the crime scene. Yeah, where everything is still on fire. I told you it was irresponsible of them. They. What do I? Eh, what do I know? But uh, let, incredibly, light the mountain on fire. What do I care? But incredibly, the fire did not spread. It was still no horribly irresponsible. Well, it was Brujo fire. Brujo like, fire. They, they knew it that it was Brujo fire. <laughs> they knew that it wasn't going to spread. Like it was for dramatic effect. <laughs> but, like he walks 
past it, and it's just like, boom. Like, you know it has to burn. They're not going to be like, oh, that was really cool. Now let's put it out before we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to comment before before we get to the, the Deadite confrontation. I do want to point out that this is the second time... We've seen um, that iconic shot where they have the steady cam going, uh, you know, across the woods and everything like that, which signifies that the deadites are coming, that there are deadites on their way. Yep. And I want to say it was in the previous episode, maybe the episode before, but we saw it manifest as like this big cloud that yes. could just mow cars yeah. down in its path. And here we see it manifest in a very similar way in like kind of black smoke that takes on a humanoid shape and then vanishes. And I wanted to know, did you guys appreciate being able to see a physical manifestation like this or would you have preferred if they hadn't done anything like that at all, if they just kept it to the POV shot of the Deadites coming towards our victims? Hmm. I kind of like seeing it be- just because it's portrayed different ways. If it was one static thing, I don't think I would like it because you would always know what was coming. But having it... Having it change of, up every yeah, now and then? It makes it more terrifying because you don't know what form it's going to take. And you know that it has the possibility to take forms that you may not have seen yet. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think I think it's kind of cool the way that they do it. Because otherwise, if you just see the POV, I think it would be too much a throw to the fans. And people who don't really embrace those shots and really like it as a throwback would be kind of like, okay, but I want to know kind of what it is. Like, it would get too repetitive. It would need to be a big reveal. And I think that they don't want the big reveal to be, this is what it looks like. I think they want it to be just a terrifying form. Kind of nebulous. Yeah, Yeah, and it's great the way that, especially in the last handful of episodes, they've really expanded a lot of the mythology that exists in the movies. And I like, yeah, I like the idea that this thing, because in the movies, of course, you never see the other side of that demon cam. It's just... Evil is coming, evil is coming, evil is coming. And it's the same thing where it's like you say, it is this essentially this nebulous, it's it's the entire uh, undead force moving towards them. And it can, I like the idea that it can take just about any shape because it's all coming back to the same place. It all generates from the same evil, uh, cloudy place <laughs> thing. I, like, I don't know if Hell? the cloud... the scientific term. <laughs> it is like, is the cloud thing uh, a sentient entity in and of itself or is it just... Uh, I don't know, like a, a, a physical manifestation of something. Like it's, just, or is it something? Is it the for, demon transportation? Yeah, device? is it something yeah. for them all to pass through? Maybe. So I like, I like that we don't really have an answer to that question. Maybe we'll never get one. But I like that they've been able to expand upon it while also still keeping it this this very nebulous, non-specific evil approaching. Did you I guys- choose to believe that it's the shadowy <laughs> creature in a vehicle, like you say, that will not stop and ask for directions. <laughs> And it just supports your theory even more. <laughs> Did you guys ever see the 1998 Mummy movie uh, with Brendan but, Fraser? Yes. Of course. There's a bit Multiple where times. Um, they're traveling through the desert, and uh, it's just this big stand, like sandstorm, and that's how the creature travels from one place to another. And he carries his minions via sandstorm. <laughs> Maybe that's just what the Deadites do, too. Sure. <laughs> There's a bunch of undead people just riding along in there being like, Mm. "Mm." Deadite Minion Shuttle. How has there not been an Asylum movie about that yet? It's coming. Yeah. Zombie NATO. Yeah, it'll be on on the uh, the Sci-Fi channel soon. Anyway, um, my take on it is 
there there are things I think that work about it and things I think that don't. I, I agree with you to an extent in that by showing it manifesting as different things, it keeps it unpredictable. On the other hand, what you can't see is always scarier than anything that they could put on screen, especially with CGI. And so on the one hand, I feel like it detracts a little bit, knowing that, oh, it's just a big dust cloud. Like, I come from the desert, and dust clouds are just something that happens. This is just annoying, really. Uh, yeah, it's really just a nuisance. Um, so for me, I, I totally get... I did like seeing the shadowy manifestation, though. I thought that was really cool in this episode. Especially because you only see it for a second. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think because it has, because we've seen it as wind, too. So we've seen it at least as three different forms. Yeah, again, it means that you have to stay on your toes. It could appear as anything. Yeah. And it's and unpredictable. And we could see some more potentially cool manifestations later on. That's very true. Because we are true. midway. I, I do hope we get to see that. Because, like I said, I did like the one in this particular episode. Sure. Yeah, just the dust cloud is just kind of weird. Anyway, um, I do, let's talk about uh, Amanda looking around and the El Brujo coming back to life. And as much as I appreciated the dialogue in this scene, I do have to say that because it was CGI, it was probably the least impressive effect I've seen thus far in this show, which... I would normally say the show is campy. It's supposed to be fun. It's not that big a deal, uh, especially because the little Lori uh, effect was very similar. Sure. But I do want to say that the effects that we have seen have been so good. And well, they've largely been practical as yeah. well. Yeah. That seeing one this cartoonish when it's not like a little cartoon doll, it feels a little off. And and again, I'm willing to forgive because the dialogue in the scene was so great, but I wanted to get your guys' take on it as well. I agree 100%. I I feel like it's totally different when it's the doll because yeah. then it really highlights the campiness and it's funny. But this was a serious type scene. And then with have, kind of a serious reveal, too. Yeah, yeah, with a cartoony character and that clash of tone just makes you feel uncomfortable a little bit. And we haven't seen that yet. So... But yeah. not uncomfortable and like an I'm on the edge of my seat kind no. of way. More like, like this just kind of looks what? awkward. Like, huh. Like, this just feels off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree the little Lori doll is, is it's cartoony in and of itself, so it lends itself a little bit more to that. And I think we've talked in the past a bit about how uh, slightly wonky practical effects have an inherent charm to them. They do. That slightly wonky. They're so cute. Right. That slightly wonky CGI does not have. So I agree the balance that has to be struck between this 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 effect that yeah I agree was not maybe not their strongest effects presentation thus far certainly but also the content of the scene it's it's tough not to let that pull you out of it but I will say like me the whole scene even with yeah this effect that is not quite taking seed in my brain the way maybe they wanted to the whole scene I'm still going what? Well, and again, especially with what follows, it you know my jaw is on the ground, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, no, shame on you, show. The <laughs> the only reason I bring it up at all is because the effects are so consistently good yes. that when one yeah. stands out this badly, it, it does. It takes you out of it. And I feel like if this had been the the movies way back when, that this would have been like a stop motion skeleton Absolutely. or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but again. At, 
there there wouldn't necessarily be a place for that here when like maybe going cheaper on this effect means that we can have an Alagoss looking as good as it does. Sure. You know, that sort of thing. So and again it it's just kind of a weird contrast because the shadowy figure you know, manifestation looked also very good. It didn't look cartoony. It didn't look out of place. Yeah. It looked really good because of the way it was shot and the fact that it was a little out of focus and everything. So much so that this looks like a really, like, from early 2000 CGI. Sure. <laughs> for me, I feel like it just highlights that for next season, they just need to give them more money yes. and a bigger budget. Yes. Because this show give is them so more money. good. <laughs> and... Every bit of it could be perfect, and we've seen it so just awesome that, yeah, it's just, it's this one moment, that's why we're even talking about it, it's because it's only one instance. Yeah. Well, and it is, but it is one instance. Now, granted, it's it's an effect that's featured prominently in a big sequence of the episode, so obviously it sticks out, but I think it is important to note that it is, I would say, the sole effect in an episode absolutely busting at the seams with crazy yes. excessive effects. Yes. That is brilliant. Yes. So good. Again, this is why we are willing to forgive because it's the one seam that's out of place in what is otherwise a beautiful tapestry. And I love the way that you beautiful tapestry. <laughs> no, like the word, the word that I'm went through put my that mind. On a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> This this was the first, and I really, I've loved the entire series thus far, and, you know, we spent the last three episodes dealing pretty specifically with Elagos. This is the first episode since the pilot that I would describe as being absolutely majestic in its execution. <laughs> Big words tonight. Majestic like tapestry. We're pulling out the thesaurus. I don't know, what, does anybody on the live chat have anything to say about the matter? Um... You know, a lot of people really like that Ash says, let's boogie. <laughs> I, I don't blame them. I gotta say, I agree, because this one was riddled with t-shirt phrases. It was. There and were a lot of good one-liners this evening. It filled me with joy, really. <laughs> I'm sure it did. But let's let's talk about what was actually said, because El Brujo comes back. Yes. Which was heartbreaking, because you'd think after being lit on fire, someone would get a pass. Just leave him for alone. For being brought back as a dead yeah. eye. You'd think you'd get a pass. You'd think you'd be able to say, okay, you know, little, literally stick a fork in him, he's done. But the uh, he comes back and attacks Amanda, and Ruby comes to her aid with a cool-looking scythe, by the way. Yeah. Which was super cool. But what he says is, Ruby, you double-crosser. What? <laughs> Breaking this yeah. down. You double-crosser. The others won't let you get the book for yourself, and neither will I. So, And then he throws her onto the pyre, the two of them, and they explode? Yeah. Somehow? And then she's gone. And then she's just gone. Disappeared. Like not even a body. There are no remains whatsoever. So let's let's deconstruct what was said here. She made a deal with the deadites. I think it's safe to say, and in order to get what I assume is revenge on Ash for presumably murdering her family, and she has now gone back on that deal. Maybe not to necessarily keep the book for herself, but to keep it out of their hands. Probably, I don't know. Thoughts. They. This can't be the end of. It cannot be the end of Ruby. It just. It'd it be can't. a bizarre storytelling choice if this was the end of her. 
No, like I, I would, I would have. I feel feel like somebody's like. I feel like the rest of the cast would not allow this to happen. No. The writers would not allow well, I this to even, happen. I wouldn't even Directors be able to. Directors would not allow this to yeah. happen. Network executives right. wouldn't allow this to no. happen. Well, it's like I couldn't even be mad about it because it would make so little sense to me. Yes. Yeah, especially when we don't get the full truth of why Ruby was clearly hiding something. And, like, it wouldn't make sense to kill her off I so think soon. that's kind of the big mid-season questions that we have is what has happened to Ruby. Because the rest of it is just kind of... it's The storyline is progressing, but we haven't gotten too many answers. Exactly. Very few answers. Like, it's so funny. We, we were talking about it last week, but so much has happened over the course of these episodes, and yet, at the same time, so little. It, to the point where we're like, wow, it's only been six episodes. And then, on the other hand, we're like, whoa, it's been six episodes. Yeah. When did that happen? So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. Um, I don't know. I Yeah, I definitely don't think she's gone, and I don't think we're going to see the last of her. Where she went? I don't know. Do you guys think she could have gotten pulled into, like, the Deadite realm or hell. Maybe or she'll come back through the cloud thing. That they sent her to like somewhere across the country to just slow her down. What do you guys think? <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> I just really immediately cool. thought that she was pulled into a Deadite realm, that she was taken probably to see someone. If it's a double crossing situation, it wouldn't be. It, it would be on a grander scale, I think. So I think it's taking her to go and atone for whatever she has done that we have no idea what any of it is yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And, like, and I'm also under the assumption if that is the case, because she did completely vanish. So obviously she went somewhere. And if it is, let's say, a deadite realm, if we're going to follow that line logically, my assumption is if that's where she went, she's probably been there before. And she's probably dealt with all of this already, which okay. is why I guarantee we'll see her pop up. My assumption is she'll pop back up a couple episodes from now, like when they're at the cabin, probably. And that's when they'll intersect. Um, but yeah, my assumption is she's just going to deal with more things that for her are ultimately a headache. For most people, yeah. it would be they would die horribly. But for her, she's like, is this? All right, fine, I'll do this. Then I'll go back to what I was doing. Excuse me. Yeah, I'll get back to it. It's on my to-do list. Jeez, oh, such a hassle. It's kind of like when you get a flat tire, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, it's just, okay, so I've got to kill 6,000 of the undead today to get back. Fine, all right, let's go. Come on. It's going to put such a damper in my schedule. Anyway, so, yeah, let's, we should probably move on, but is there anything else you guys want to touch on um, before we move on from the Ruby storyline and the, the potential therein? I just, I feel like she's so dedicated to her task that we're going to have to see her somewhat soon and probably have very short check-ins, <laughs> I am hoping, I, at least. I will say that I am very frustrated that the Thelma and Louise team-up was cut short so yeah, soon. Yeah, did not last very long at all. No, because anytime they were on screen together for the two minutes that we got it, they were great. Yeah. Uh. They were great, and they had a great dynamic, and... Um, especially with Ruby being like this, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm so, you know, I've done all this before. I'm so experienced. You're so young. Da, 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 da. It was, it was very interesting. It would have been a lot more fun to kind of go through that. Anyway, let's, uh, shall we move on? Yes. 
Let us. Let's move on to the diner. To the, oh, man. There's <laughs> Which, so much amazing stuff to unpack here. There's a lot of I really great stuff. I do have to say, talking a little bit, again, about budget, having an episode that the majority of it, like 99% of it, takes place in one location, that is amazing because that's a hard storyline to pull off and yeah. have it still be incredibly interesting and still cost effective. So I think that's such a nod to how brilliant the writers are that this episode was completely self-contained in one location just in no. And that's part of the reason why we love the Evil Dead storyline to begin with is most of these stories with the exception of going back in time take place at a yeah. singular location. Yep. And the you know the chaos that ensues when evil is unleashed there. So it's, it's so great to it's see a nice it parallel. in an episodic form. So you see it, like, the whole episode is a nod to the movie. Like, I just think that's such a cool format. I actually got a tweet a um, little earlier on today uh, from uh, one of our viewers at Mr. Paul White on Twitter. Uh, he he tweeted at me that uh, that I tend to cover a lo- shows that leave a lot of bodies in, in their wake. I got and that a that's similar fantastic. one. Actually. Apropos yeah. of nothing. I got a similar one of those. <laughs> yeah, basically, guys, we want to hear what you guys have to say uh, on Twitter. Please be sure to tweet at us. Paul White also wanted to, to he tweeted at us that Pablo rules. He does. Which he does. Hashtag he does. Pablo has seen some shit. He's uh, not a great shot, as we discovered, but uh, he looks great sliding across <laughs> the floor really firing a does. gun. He really does. He puts so much effort <laughs> into it. So, like, again, with the majority of this episode taking place at the diner, uh, there's there's a lot to unpack here. There's Ash being a ladies' man. But I think the more important thing to kind of unpack is the Pablo and Kelly relationship because they finally talk about what transpired while Kelly was possessed. Yeah. And, and we get a, a very interesting... Um, observation from Kelly in that she's like, you know, the demon was twisting what I observed from you. She doesn't remember anything, but she's like, you're so sweet and so pure. It must have twisted that. Poor boy. And so that's gotta be like a dagger in the heart with every single word that she says because, you know, she and we've gone through this time and time again, she views him as a little brother. And it's just so heartbreaking to watch him just sit there and go, no, it's not I don't want you to see me that way, but he's such a good guy that he feels really bad about that. Well, especially after having (laughs) directly having a demon be like, everything that you wanted, here you go, and there's no reason for you to think otherwise for (laughs) a minute, and in that one minute you were so happy just to have it ripped away from you. It just is constantly showing us why they hate the deadites so much. <laughs> and see, like, how and long is it going to take? Like, <laughs> Kelly snapped. Like, how long is it going to take? Pablo, like, oh, he's still holding on. Well, and, like, the moment that made me the saddest is is when they're having that conversation and she asks him point blank after he tells her what happened. Like, what well, what did you what did you do? Did you, you know, et cetera. And he just he just has to get himself out of that exchange. He's just like, I don't know, I blacked out. It's like, oh my god, that's so sad. 
And and her response is, oh, it must have been a fun party. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, yeah, she clearly doesn't look at it from the same point of view that he does. Well, and when, when he makes a comment about, like, you made me smoke weed out of a shotgun, she's like, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> again, differing perspectives. And again, she, she wasn't aware of um, the demon coming out of her mouth later on, so I'm sure his perspective is a little bit tainted. Um, but yeah, so that is really hard to watch, but it kind of culminates to this very interesting scene where they're both in the trailer, and as heartbroken as we are for Pablo, there comes a knocking, and it's the Necronomicon in the box, and we we kind of get this notion, and by kind of, I mean we absolutely get this notion, because the, the book flies out of Kelly's hands and onto Pablo's chest that the book is adversely being affected by the medallion that Pablo walked away with. Now, here's a question. Any thoughts on whether or not El Brujo knew that the medallion had that kind of power? Because he didn't seem to know a ton. Well, it definitely seemed like there was a specific reason that it was passed on. Now, whether he knew it or whether... Now, it's interesting because his body, once he's dead, comes back possessed by deadites. Once he's dead in that fire, and it's the same fire that Ruby disappears into, did, did he, from wherever he is, was it he that threw the medallion back out or was it something else? Whatever threw it back out clearly knew that it was going to do something. If it, if the book's really not happy about this medallion, I don't think it came from the Deadites, most likely. Because the Deadites in the book are friends. Uh, <laughs> but my question, really, watching that scene where the book is like flipping out over the... This is, to my knowledge, like the book has always had this energy around it. It's always brought uh, the evil to it. I don't remember the book ever behaving like it itself was alive before. No. Uh, it's flown open in the wind. Yeah. And, like, pages have been flipped. And, like, we've seen in Army of Darkness that decoys of the book will, like, bite Ash's hand or whatever. But this is the first time we've seen the actual Necronomicon behave and in like, any way, shape, or form. Opening its little mouth and like, mah, mah, mah. that's that's my impression <laughs> yeah. of the book. That's I'm gonna, I'm working it on looks it. Like a fish. Yeah, mah, 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 mah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I watching that. I'm going, oh, that's that's new. Okay, sure. Yeah, it here, kind of now. reminded me of Hocus Pocus. Very much Hocus- so. Yeah, I was like, yes. oh, you could be. Related, the Necronomicon <laughs> could be like the you know second cousin of this book. There was a time where I thought, are they the same book? Because they're both bound in human flesh. Uh, they now both have personalities <laughs> to sure. an extent. I think they were just maybe made at the same time. Like they were like, we've got all this extra human flesh. We might as well make another book. Like the ancients and Winifred <laughs> both went to the same book dealer yeah. that same. specifically deals with the same. Like, books I can get you a really good Noble, yeah. two for one deal if you guys want to <laughs> team up. And they were like, all right. That, but it's also <laughs> it's also too like the the Book of the Dead is not an idea that is exclusive to this franchise. So maybe it's a little bit. Like, you know how, for example, like, elements of Leatherface and Norman Bates, uh, all goes back to Ed Gein. Maybe all of these books are based on the same real-life evil sentient book with human skin on it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Ooh. I've, I'll be honest, I've never bothered to do any research because I don't research the occult. So... <laughs> That's oh, that. you're missing out. You go down some rabbit holes, <laughs> man. It's 
like TV tropes. You just start and then you're just digging through all of these web pages. <laughs> Where'd my never month go? Yeah. Anticipated and going. So so yeah, they we have that interesting scene. But on Ash's end inside the diner, we also have a very interesting exchange. He comes across an old acquaintance that even Ash, like by Ash, Ash has no room to judge, yeah. I feel like, because he's a dude that lives in a trailer and his only thing is picking up chicks on occasion. So, like, when he comes across this other guy, Lem, yeah. who is an alcoholic who's also joined this odd militia. Well, give Lem a little bit of credit. He'd been sober for, what, nine whole days? Nine days. Yeah. Nine days. Good, one good step on at a time. One yeah. step at a time. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. It, it, it'll it'll work if he works it. But this guy, uh, we have questions. We have a lot of questions about this guy, namely about the militia that he's joined. Yeah. And he, he bolts from the diner when Always stuff starts to happen. Always be stockpiling. <laughs> Always be stockpiling. And so he he gets possessed after he books it from the diner, at least so it would seem, do we think, I feel like it's not a coincidence that they would just mention he's a part of a militia now. <laughs> there's no way, uh, much like Ruby just disappearing, there's no way that's not coming back, right? I assume we're setting up a large group of heavily armed people who are going to die horribly. Yeah, it's the whole, if you're going to show a gun in Act 1, it better go off in Act 3. Chekhov's theory. militia. So, yeah, they're going to have... I think a really good. They've they have always shown us that they have a very solid story arc. So I can't imagine they would have a question that big and not tie it tie it's, it back into yeah. everything. I I I feel like. Well, first of all, I feel it's interesting to introduce a character who used to work at Value Stop, who's even more of a mess than Ash. Like that that makes me feel bad for him like immediately. But so, a kind of an interesting thought is we've seen deadites and you know they don't need weapons necessarily given that they have demonic powers and super strength and all that other stuff um but when they get a hold of something i don't know like a nail gun like that starts to get terrifying and if this guy is a part of a militia and say i don't know those militia guys get possessed by deadites that is a deadite group as in more than one, with heavy fire with, at their yeah, disposal. Tons of rifles. With the motto, always be stockpiling. They've got a lot of stuff. They are ready. Yeah, That is bad. That is the that worst. That is terrifying. <laughs> that is one of the worst scenarios my mind can Dead Eye Army is... Ah. An emphasis on the armed army. part. Yeah. Yes. No, that's bad. Well, it's hard enough to deal with a Deadite army when all they've got is swords and catapults, as we've seen. But the idea of a Deadite army with uh, tanks and bazookas, and, we're done. And again, machine guns, rifles. Yeah, no, it's it's awful. When they have swords and shields, it's adorable. <laughs> it's very charming. It's very cute. But when they have guns, less so. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> but we know we have another season, so at least the apocalypse is not nine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and again, this is conceivably just a very small group. I'm just saying that they're going to need more than one boomstick in order to deal with this sort of problem, sure. if it comes to that. So... Yeah, there's that. <laughs> All right, um, should we talk about this pretty amazing fight that we get in the diner? Yes. You mean like the entire third, last third of this episode? Last third of this episode. <laughs> we can bring it back to Amanda. 
um, taking down Ash. That's a good place to start uh, because, Brilliant. like, this is this is the like really they've talked before very briefly, but this is the first like real altercation that they have. And I'm not at all surprised that she's able to take him down because he's so cocky. But um, I was I was a little surprised. I mean, obviously we've met Jill. She's very, very beautiful. But I was a little surprised that Ash... Well, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised that he seems to have a little bit of a crush. I'm not surprised at all. She yeah. is... She is... Uh, and she's... Uh, we met her in person, as you say, and she's an incredibly attractive woman. But she is a passably attractive person at worst. Of course, Ash has a crush on her. <laughs> he was hitting on the waitress earlier, too. And he would probably little. hit on anybody that moved. It's he hit I, on Kelly. He hits on literally awesome everybody. to see the quintessential Ash moment when he's fighting and just has to stop to stare at her boobs when he's just like, okay, you know something horrible is going to happen to you now. And... <laughs> Enjoy the trough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man! But <laughs> so she brings him out, and her backup arrives. And this has got to be really tough for her too, because she keeps pulling in different people, and they keep getting killed. Yep. Because uh, she again, this is another police officer that she knew, her superior even, and like it's terrible to lose a partner but again to be like doing this vigilante quest that she's on and then pulling more people into it because as far as she knows Ruby's dead her partner's dead and now her boss is dead this is this is going down a very nasty road for her well I think that's why she ultimately just is like yeah what else am I going to do? Like, this is really her only option. Yep. I feel like that's how Ash gets most of his, or all of his companions. <laughs> everyone it's else you like, know is dead. Come with me. <laughs> well, we just watched everyone die a horrible death, so let's go somewhere else, I guess. I feel bad about it. Almost as if I were responsible. <laughs> Whoops. Mm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a car. <laughs> Well, so let's let's get to the big fight scene because the the deadites come in and tear this diner apart and I wanted to know what was your guys' favorite moment from this fight scene? This fantastical spectacle that we get. <sighs> I got I got a couple, man. Like Go ahead yeah. and list them. I mean, it opens with these these little ice skater girls flying through the window yes. and one of them getting a blade <laughs> through the head. You got the moment honestly, the moment where I, I just I Almost jumped up because I was so just filled with glee. This is going to sound horrible. But it's when the kid, the child, gets thrown into the fan. Now, they kill children in this episode. And when I say that that made me really excited, please understand where I'm coming from. It's not that I want to see violence done to children. It's that you never see that. That happens so rarely in TV and film. Also, having it carry from the previous scene, having that kid be in the bathroom and really being there for all of it. So you think, and because they show Amanda the no, and it's such a dramatic moment, you're like, oh, how is the kid going to get out? Oh, no, he's not. Oh, he's dead. Oh, wow. That that did not last long. (laughs) Yes, and then just a new member for my fan club. And I was like, bad pun, yes! (laughs) Yes! I think of you every time. There's just an awesome bad pun, and I'm like, Punisher! I know, you sent me an entire (laughs) list of bad puns. 
sends oh, me a Facebook. No. I can't thank you enough for that. Make it stop. <laughs> Don't worry. It's the first of many. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I and I will say that I think of you giggling every time I hear a bad pun. <laughs> Yes, but like, come on! There were so many amazing moments in that sequence. Um, that when 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 Pablo and Kelly appear, and they're like, "Order up!" and they throw the chainsaw, and it lands perfectly. She throws the boomstick, and he just so starts good. going to town. It's amazing. Yeah, I I have to kind of going off of what you said about like. The, the violence being done to children. Obviously, we're not condoning. We are not advocating or, violence or advocating against children. Her, but you bring up an excellent point in that it happens very rarely. So, so especially in film, so much so that when it does happen, you know it's serious. Yes. You know it's like ah. Like, did you ever see the movie Feast by any chance? I actually have not. It is. I highly recommend it for any horror fan. It is a. It's a horror comedy that very much plays with the ideas of like there are certain tropes, there are certain character types. People like Ash always live to the end of a horror movie. People like the kid who's cowering in the corner. They always live a long mm -hmm. and ha happy life after. And Feast is the type of movie that shows. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So much so that they have really great character introductions. They'll show the character's name, like a fun fact about them, and their expected life expectancy in terms of runtime of the film. And and then whether it's always fun to see whether or not the film actually adheres to that in terms of their life expectancy. I need to watch this movie, so, clearly. Yeah, this sounds highly, awesome. Highly recommend that film for any horror movie fan. If you're not a horror movie fan, it's not, <laughs> not for, for you. you. Yeah. Although I don't know why you'd be watching this yeah. show if you're not. You're, so, they're lost. They were if you're around, not a horror like, movie fan, have better taste. I, I will say <laughs> that as cool as the Pablo scene was of him sliding, um, I, it highlights how well they act as a team. Yes. And how well they're developing as a team. But we also got payoff... For Dana coming in the studio and saying that Kelly gets very creative with a meat tenderizer. Yes. I would say my favorite episode, uh, favorite line of the episode was when she's she's just demolishing this deadite and she yells thinly sliced just the way I like it. My Amazing. favorite is that. She, because she's now getting these awesome one-liners. We see her transition yep. so vividly. And then she even has under-the-breath one-liners that are just, you just got 86. Yep. Like, I was like, oh, God, it's so good. And it was and just even... Ash is just looking on like he couldn't be more proud. Oh God, I think, I I think she needed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just looks like a proud papa. I he love does, it. he does. Look at it. And even like when he's sitting down and having like lunch with them, like they feel like a family. I know Papa yes. likes her, but they really do look like a family together. And we see that unity when they throw the chainsaw and everything. And that <laughs> seems to be on the chat. Michael Malia <laughs> and M. Nishikado. Nishikado. Uh, both like. love the line, never seen a man with a chainsaw hand before. <laughs> and that seems to be the fan favorite for the evening. Maybe what so. we should start doing is at the start of each of these recaps, we should just say what our favorite one-liner from that episode was. We Maybe that's how we should we'll take a Twitter vote and then we'll, we'll get t-shirts. We'll ideas. get t-shirts. <laughs> like it. <laughs> So the um, I, there is one other line I want to bring up before we kind of wrap up this episode is, and I think it, even though it was 
while Pablo and Kelly were having their discussion, um, I think it really does tie back into Ruby's storyline. Uh, Pablo is concerned that Kelly just wants revenge against the Deadites. That, and as we see, you know, when she's going to town with the meat <laughs> with the meat tenderizer, she doesn't feel like she has anything left to lose, and so he he worries about her kind of being on this suicide mission for revenge, which is something that, even though he's sad about his uncle's passing, that's never going to be a thing for him. He's not the type of person that would lose himself to revenge like right. that. He's the Yoda quoter, not the Yoda quotee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do or do not, there is no try. Anger leads to whatever, Beware whatever. Beware anger, fear revenge. <laughs> But yeah, so so there's this idea that trying to get revenge, and this probably applies to Ash to an extent as well, trying to get revenge against these creatures is a road that can only lead to destruction and unhappiness, which I think is where we are with poor Ruby. I don't know. It does seem like, and again, at this point, we are four four episodes left. By the way, no. When did that happen? Um, but we uh. still we know, and we talked about this a little bit last week. We still know almost nothing about Ruby, and what we do know is increasingly suspect. Um, but what seems to be the case is, as you say, there seems to be nothing else in her life except this. Whatever this is, this quest for revenge, whether it's specifically against Ash or whether it's trying to outmaneuver the Deadites, whatever, this is her entire life now. And so we see there's a perfect example of how following that path can lead you somewhere that's just real unpleasant. Yeah. Like a diner where there's a Deadite's face that has been sliced off into deli slices. Yeah. No, that can't be. Yeah, and then beaten with a a meat meat tenderizer. tenderizer, Which, you know, they say no need to beat a dead horse. But... Beating a dead deadite, it can be somewhat refreshing, we found. Yeah. So I, I thought you were going to try to make a pun. No, <laughs> I was just, very unhappy for a moment. Well, I, I saw how unhappy we were, so I spun it back to just a life lesson. Relief washed over me when that happened. Just the moral of the story. I figure I can <laughs> see how you feel about those and just slide it in. I need to work on my poker face. Um <laughs> But anyway, that that basically kind of wraps it up for this episode. We have Jill, Amanda. <laughs> I have to fight not to call Kelly Dana also. So we have Amanda joining the crew. Yes. Ruby's MIA. Uh, Lem is MIA and presumably possessed. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we move on into predictions? I'm just excited to see moving forward having two girls on the team and just having it balanced out. I think it's going to be cool. I like the direction it's going, but if they don't bring back Ruby, I will be very upset. Here, yeah. here. I there's, there's, but there's no way she's not coming back. There was a moment at the end of the episode, and I want to know if maybe I was just reading this completely wrong. There is a moment at the end of the episode where Amanda's made the decision that, okay, you know, what what else am I going to do? She's in a position where she's got, she's got nothing else increasingly, so she does decide to join the band, as it were, where Ash, like Ash does, hits on her again, and she doesn't seem that mad about it. <laughs> 
and I'm going, what? Is that going to go anywhere? Like, what's happening there? Should I be as uncomfortable as I am with this in this moment? <laughs> like, you think they're trying to actually have a romantic storyline there. I don't know if that's what I Will think. Will rackets be but, strong? Yeah, I'm going, is that is that the door we're opening now? Okay. Now, it's hard to picture Ash in... In anything resembling, like, a functioning romantic relationship. Because after Linda, it's just been a series of one-night stands. And even in Army of Darkness, he didn't want... He didn't wish her ill will, but Sheila didn't necessarily mean anything to him either. No, it's all just pillow talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all just pillow talk, baby. And again, he felt bad when she got, like, turned into a deadite. Uh, and he was relieved when she turned back to normal, but it, he wasn't going to stay for her. Right. Exactly. So, I don't know. Do you guys think Ash could even be capable of settling down? Because I feel like the only woman he would have settled down with died a long time ago. Sure. I feel like he almost feels like, at this point, anybody who's on the road with him may be temporary, even though he doesn't want to quite accept it. Because he's just so jaded that I feel like he can see potentially starting a relationship and then just being like, no, but I could always just be like, peace. Now, it could be <laughs> that we're reading too much into it. It could be as simple as Ash going, pretty girl, and then that's it. Yeah, <laughs> And her going, well, I know you're not evil now, so I will smile at you, dummy. Yeah, And smile we saw that up. with Kelly, and that was ended up being very platonic, so it's... I would like to see it where it's just a completely platonic situation and we just have that one Pablo pining scenario so we don't have anything that detracts from that. (laughs) Well, and uh, again, in terms of like the people who have joined his crew, Pablo's the only person that is constantly giving him positive support. Mm -hmm. All the other girls... I assume when Ruby comes back, Ruby included, aren't going to take any of his crap. Right. Yeah. Well, Ruby also mentions her sister, Annie. So Annie didn't take any crap either. Yeah. (laughs) The part, one of my favorite parts in the original Evil Dead 2 was when he's like, I'm all right now. I'm not a deadite anymore. (laughs) And she doesn't listen. She keeps trying to stab him. I really appreciated that. Yeah. To be fair, that is exactly the type of thing a deadite is likely to say. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what a deadite would say. That's I I just love that that was kind of a little reference to the movie again, but not being too on the nose about it. Yeah. No, it's great. So We'll see, I suppose. What I worry about for, at least for poor Amanda, is being the odd man out right now. Because Pablo and Kelly and Ash have been through enough at this point to be a makeshift family. And we see that their teamwork is improving and that they are becoming more of a unit. As the newest member of the group... She's the odd man out, and I'm like she's also has completely different life experience. She didn't work at Value Stop. She, for the longest time, didn't believe in any of this stuff. And the people that she's lost are different than the people that they've all lost. They've all lost family, as opposed to her. She she she's lost friends. So I don't know. It's it's going to be a very interesting dynamic now that she's a part of the group too. I don't know necessarily if she'll feel like she belongs with them, if that makes any sense. Maybe that this team-up is only a temporary thing until Ruby comes back. Sure. And then it goes right back to being Thelma and Louise. 
Which I would actually like better. But I would watch a whole series that was that. I would. I would watch an entire <laughs> spinoff that was just that in, oh, in full feature film form. <laughs> Alliterative as that is. Fighting Demons. I would so watch that. That would be fantastic. Starring Lucy Lawless and Jill Marie Jones. Take my money. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Okay, do we want to move into specific predictions then for next week? Sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's do the move light into show. specific predictions. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. We've been talking about predictions for five minutes, but I really just wanted to see the light show. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Good call. So I think for next week, I think we are going to get the militia. And I think we are going to get deadite militia people wearing crazy gas masks. I think we're going to find out more about the origin of this medallion and why it it works with the Necronomicon the way that it is. I don't know. Your guys' thoughts? It always makes me think video game guild mentality when they add somebody <laughs> that it's like, oh, now there's going to be a bigger boss for you to conquer because now there's four of them. So I feel like they're going to come into a situation. Amanda Fisher has joined your party. Yeah. (laughs) It's just going to be an even more difficult scenario than they've encountered thus far. And the militia is going to be... It's going to be a force to be reckoned with, and I can't they, wait to see it. They look really creepy with the gas masks, right? Like, they, it looks real unsettling. Um, it reminds, it's very Doctor Who, if you guys have yeah. seen that episode yes. of Doctor Who. Like, are you my mummy? So, yeah, that's that's Ooh. what my mind immediately goes to. I will actually, when I watched it, I didn't see the promo for the next one. So, I haven't seen really? this. I have to go look that up when I get home. <laughs> yeah, I missed that completely. So, so we know that we're dealing with that in some capacity next week then. Okay. Well, we are dealing with people in gas masks. Right. So, I assume that it's members of the militia. Okay. Which would make sense because we set that yes. up already. I mean, and now we've established that their goal, they have a goal again. We talked about how last episode it seemed a little bit like he had in his in his. his crazy acid trip the the uh, lizard with teeth told him to bury the book uh, and we know that for a fact that's where he's going now right and they because at the end of that episode it seemed like they were they were just driving off and it was a little bit uh, unclear what their destination was they have now set clearly their destination they're going to go back to the cabin yeah. my assumption um, and I hope I'm wrong, if only because I want to see as much Lucy Lawless before the season ends as possible. My assumption is that is when she reconnects with everybody is at the cabin. Well, we do have him say, too, I have to stop somewhere first. So we know that there's going to be a side story before they get to the cabin. So timing-wise, it would make sense that they would maybe have another storyline and a little bit of time. And then maybe not next episode, but the one after or potentially even the one after that having her come back now yeah here's here's the question is the number of episodes between now and when lucy lawless's character comes back because we only have seven eight nine and ten left yeah and that's so upsetting so it's a matter of like is are are we not going to see her until the finale because i would be livid (laughs) if that's the the case case. she better be all over that finale Yeah. yeah yeah no for sure so i would hope that we we'll only go one episode maybe at most until we see her again but it all depends on how slow they they want to burn that mysterious storyline and it's but i want to see her come back with her awesome sword and slice deadites with that thing that they are they're actually yes. afraid of well it's also it's like you say it depends on how slow a burn they want it to be but also yeah we only have four half hours left so if they're going to hold back on all of that until the end then we're in a situation where we have to info dump a lot into a half hour episode yeah. so that we can make her 
her role in this entire thing clear in a way that it would it have to isn't. be such a huge role. I think, yeah, to tie in to have that be the focus of the finale. I think that that would have to tie in in ways that we have not even thought. Of. Well, and I and as excited as I am for season two, I really do worry that we're just going to get a cliffhanger at the end of season one, which would actually be very fitting with Evil Dead because, with the exception of Army of Darkness. All of the movies, and and I guess the reboot, but the the first two movies ended with a cliffhanger. Well, it depends on which version of Army of Darkness you watch. If you watch the Esmart ending, yeah, it's fairly tied up. But if you watch the ending where he he goes into the far future, I you don't really know. Long. Yeah, you don't really know what he does after that. <laughs> I I gotta say, I like the Esmart ending better. It's more fun. It's more fun, but like you also kind of get the hint that maybe he he did live through that other ending, but he did find a way back because he was like. Eh. Something like that, yeah. Don't worry about it. That's those are details for another day. But I feel like that's even a horror movie trope that we always see that it ends with a big cliffhanger. Like because our main character is about to die unless we get a sequel. Oh, then it was just a dream. Yeah, yeah. that's why you have the stereotype of you know the serial killer that never dies, and you have the deadites that just keep coming no matter what. Just keep do. coming. Ah, well. Yeah, we've got a lot, hopefully, to look forward to in these next upcoming four episodes, and a lot more when it comes to season two. I'm so excited. Well, that basically wraps it up for tonight. Do you guys have any other final thoughts on this episode or on next week? Uh, Did we, uh, maybe I missed it completely. Maybe I, as I was sitting and watching and not getting up, maybe my brain left the room. Did we resolve where the hand went yet? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. The hand is gone and it's going to reappear stabbing somebody. That is my prediction. Something, the hand is going to do some really rude stuff to somebody. I think it's going to be an awesome combination of Thing from Adam's family and Idle Hands with Devin Saw. I love that movie. <laughs> Isn't oh, it? It's so that, great. Yes. All right. Well, folks, that <laughs> basically wraps it up for this evening's episode. Elena, where can people find you if they want to keep up with what you're doing? You can find me on Twitter at Elena Jordan, A-L-A-N-A, and on Instagram at that Elena Jordan Girl. And I'm all over all the internet stuff at the Lex Michael. And uh, you guys can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Fife. That's with F's, not S's. She was unable to join us tonight, but no, her heart is here. Her, she's with us in spirit. You can follow her podcast, Love and Justice, that is doing awesome Sailor Moon stuff. So yeah. if you're a Sailor Moon fan, definitely check that out. It's it awesome. It is a fantastic podcast. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz. I write articles for the movie Chick, Chick with two Ks. Be sure to check those out. And again, if you haven't already done so, please rate, subscribe on iTunes especially. That's the one the producers really look at. Rate, leave a comment uh, in this section below. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you to everybody on the hashtag. Thank you to everybody in the live chat. You guys are just the best. Thank you guys so much. We will see you all next time. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.